practice today. So let's welcome Mr. Zanger. Thanks, Gordon. So I've got a dear friend who's, who's on the board, and it's Chase Bransell, and he sent me a picture of the biggest clock that he could ever find, and it's in the coach's office, and they haven't put it up yet. Uh, and he joked that it's for me because of how long I go in chapel. So uh, I will try to keep this to, to a minimum, and uh, we will get in to the word and so, if you would, uh, just out of respect for the Word of God, it is a wonderful thing. If you would, please stand for the reading of the Word. We are in Mark chapter 1, and we will read verses 1 through 13. So join me. I am in the English Standard Version. Hear the Word of the Lord. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie." I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The Word of God. If you would, please have a seat and join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your Word. And I simply pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of every single heart in the room would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so off the bat, I just want to give kudos. Rich Peterson just did such a marvelous job setting the stage and kind of laying open the buffet table of, of uh, Mark and, and setting us all up for success, and as, as a track runner, here I am, and he has passed me the baton, and so I get the first 13 verses, and hopefully I don't drop the baton so that I can give it to Justin Erickson in two weeks, and so that's, that's my hope, is that I can just run a good second leg, get it to uh, Justin Erickson to, to drive home the third leg. What I want to do off the bat, so 
in, in the past couple of years, we have gone through the book of Jonah, we have gone through Colossians, we have gone through Philippians. Each of those books is four chapters long. And Gordon did such a masterful job of splitting those books up so that they could be preached. Now, here's the deal. When you have a book that, that, that is that short, we could go verse by verse, sometimes word by word, through sections. This is a 16-chapter book. And so just off the bat, I'm going to plead with you on behalf of, of people who are going to come and stand here and try to deliver the word to you, please do not expect when it's long slogs, like 50 verses, because that's what some people will get is 50 verses, please don't expect verse-by-verse analysis. Please, please don't come here expecting that because you might not get that. What you might get is, here's an overview of the section and I want to land my plane right here. And so... Be okay with that. That's okay. That is okay. That's the nature of chapel. That's the nature of having, I think you said like 32 weeks to cover 16 chapters of a richly dense and beautiful book. And so I just, I, I pray for myself because I'm the worst. Uh, I pray for each of us then that we would be gracious hearers, be gracious hearers to our people who come here and I don't think we get paid. Nobody gets paid to come here. Uh, we, don't, we don't have this massive budget to, to bring in uh, Johnny Mack. We, we just bring in faithful brothers that are here in Nebraska, and they do it as a service to the Lord and because of the great friendships that, that Gordon has. So uh, there you are. However, I have 13 verses. And so we're going to go verse by verse. So that's, that's what we're going to do together because I only have 13 verses. And so I want to throw uh, all of my thoughts into four headings, okay? Heading number one is no mere man. That's verse one. No mere man, verse one. The second one takes a larger chunk, and it is no mere coincidence. And those are verses two through, uh-oh, eight is what I think I have. Eight, yeah, two through eight. Two through eight. Then, no mere baptism, and that is verses nine through 11, no mere baptism, and then the final heading is no mere temptation, and that is verses 12 and 13. So, no mere man, no mere coincidence, no mere baptism, and no mere temptation. And just to get definitions right, words mean things. Words, words are changing, so I at least want to give you the proper definition of mere. Here's what I mean. Mere means something not large or significant. Not large or significant. And so, you astute people, and, and sorry English department, um, I'm using a double negative, no mirror, no mirror, and I'm using the double negative, no, not large, no, not significant. So these things are mega significant. That, that's what I'm trying to get at with this. So sorry, English teachers, uh, you can flog me uh, later. So let's get going. Verse one, 
Verse 1, no mere man. No mere man. Look at how Mark starts the gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The, the word gospel is, is evangelion. It is the good news. So here's the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, you need to remember, this is why I'm so grateful for Rich Peterson. Remember the audience. The audience is Rome. The audience is Rome. And so Romans inhabited Rome. That's kind of duh. And so in Rome, you would have emperor worship. And now get this, you got to get this, this is amazing. There was emperor worship after the death of the emperor. So after the emperor died, then they would set up the shrine and then they would set up his own little thing of incense for the emperor, for Caesar in the Parthenon. And so, or sorry, the Pantheon, sorry, Parthenon, Pantheon. And so look here, this is amazing. This is amazing. Look at the contrast. So after an emperor would die, then they would deify him. Look at the word Mark uses. The beginning. The beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel. This is not after. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then note this, the Son of God. Note that, that's huge. This is loaded language. What, what Mark is pulling here is he just starts right here, right off the bat. This is no mere man. This is not just some guy. This isn't even the emperor. This is the son of God. That's how Mark starts his gospel. And the gospel is good news. It's the Evangelion, as I said before. The gospel is what Jesus proclaims, yes. He preaches the gospel. It is what he says. But it's also about his life and what he has done and what he has accomplished. And you need to hear this. I feel like I'm echoing the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is a true story of a true man in true time in true places. This is not some fairy tale in some far-off cabin in a far-off woods in a far-off country in a sea and a land far, far away from everyone else. No, this is a real man in real space, in real time, in real history. That's what Mark is presenting to us. And oh, by the way, what an introduction. Look at this. This is just amazing. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mr. and Mrs. Mankin just had a baby boy uh, back on Friday. And that's awesome. And, and we got... Uh, kind of the announcement as, as faculty that, that they had had a baby boy and babies are born all the time and nobody, and I mean nobody, sends out the following birth announcement. Remington Max Mencken, seven pounds, one ounce, the son of God. No one does that. No one does that. 
And, and none of you seniors, as you're sending out your graduation stuff, you're, you're not going to send out Micah William Green, class of 2023, the son of God. No, none of us do that. You would be crazy. You would be insane. This is insanity, unless it's true. But Mark, without apology, he starts right there. He starts with the Son of Godness, of Christ. And so I plead with you, as we go through this book, this is not your ordinary book. This is not, uh, sorry English teachers, I'm picking on you again. This is not Romeo and Juliet. This is the gospel of Christ. And so I'm just going to plead with you, pay attention. This is no mere man. This is the very son of God. That's heading one. Heading two. No mere coincidence. That's verses two through eight. And here's what I mean by coincidence, because we have to define words. Coincidence means events with no connection. Events with no connection. So, oh, what a dink! Events with no connection. R random, if you want to use that word, random. Events with no connection. And again, let's look, where does Mark start? He starts with the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And then, almost like a red herring, here comes this other thing. Wait, what? What? what, what? Here comes a quote from Isaiah, the prophet, and some, it's 700 years earlier. It's like, what? Let's break it down. Look what it says. Behold, I, I, the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, I send, send. So God is the active sender. I send, I send my messenger, a message bearer. I, God, am sending a message bearer. I have a speaker who is going on my behalf. That's the idea. Look at the next words. Before your face. Folks, this is not secret. This was not, I think Paul says in, in Acts 26, this was not done in a corner. This was done right before your face. I come before your face to prepare a way, your way, sorry, your way. And, and so what I want you to see is this wasn't secret. Let your eyes scan down to verse 5. John the Baptist has all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem coming to him. That's all. All means all. You have a vast array of people coming to John. This is not done. Again, this is not done in some corner. This is not done in some secret place. This is not done in some backwoods alley. No, 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 no. This is done in Judea. This is done in Jerusalem. This is done where people were. And this was, if, if I may, this was the religious center of that region, if not the entire world. This is where Christ comes into. This is where John the Baptist starts his ministry. Right there. 
And he says, it, he comes to prepare, verse 2, end of verse 2, who will prepare your way, the people's way, your, the audience's way, in Isaiah's time, and also for us in Mark's. So he's preparing your way, the people's way. And, and later in the same passage, he comes to prepare the way of the Lord. And so that is what, this is just amazing. This is amazing. This is what John is supposed to do. And so I was just trying to think of a modern analogy, and I'm not going to play the video because uh, we just don't have time and it, it distracts. But I want you to think of Aladdin. And you have the genie leading the way for Prince Ali. Make way for Prince Ali. And just this massive parade. And people and elephants and stuff shaking. And people are amazed. Here's Ali. And here's the genie doing all of his dancing and all of this stuff. Preparing the people and preparing the way for the prince. And that is the job of John the Baptist. He is preparing the people for Jesus, and he is preparing the way for Jesus to the people. That's what Isaiah was talking about. And so, this is not a coincidence. This is not some mere coincidence. This is planned. That's what I want you to see. There is a sender, and there is a goer. There is a message, and there is a messenger. There is a preparation to be made, and there is a preparer. No mere coincidence. Nah, uh, uh, uh. It is the definite plan of Almighty God. That's what's happening right here. And if you don't believe me, again, verse 3, look at verse 3. This is awesome. This is so awesome. Jesus is called in the second line, prepare the way of the Lord, capital L, Lord. Jesus is called the Lord because John is not the Lord. John is preparing the way for the Lord, capital L. That word in Greek is kurios, and that's an important word, kurios. And again, you need to understand this from a Roman's point of view. Here is another just loaded language. This is loaded language. Verse 1, Jesus is the Son of God. Here in verse 3, Jesus is Lord. Because back in the day, Romans were fond of saying about their Caesars that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Master. Kaiser Curios. Caesar is those things. And what, what Mark is saying, quoting Isaiah, is, uh, 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 no, 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 no. Here comes another Lord. Here comes a better Lord. Here comes a greater Lord. Here comes a greater master that even Caesar must fall down before. And so it's not Kaiser Curios, it is Christos Curios. You have another Lord. And it's even greater than that. This is a term of deity. This is amazing. So he's the son of God in verse 1. He's divine in verse 3. And he's the Lord higher than Caesar himself. Whoa, wow. And so that's what we have. In verses 2 and 3, we have the prophecy of Isaiah. And then look at verse 4. The first two words, John appeared. John appeared. 
directly after the quotation, the statement from Isaiah. And so it doesn't take a Rhodes Scholar to figure this out. Put two plus two together and see, see, O oh student, that John comes in the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. That is exactly what John is doing. And so you may ask, how does John prepare the way? Good question. How does John prepare the way? Look at verse uh, two, two ways. Number one, there's a baptism of repentance, and there's proclamation. There's preaching. So in his baptism and in his proclaiming, that is how John is preparing the way. So look at verse 5. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. That's verse 4, for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all uh, Jerusalem were going out to, to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, comma, confessing their sins. So John would baptize in the Jordan River after after confession of sins. And then if you look down to verse 7 and 8, he preached. And here's how he preached. He, he preached about the fact that after me, because again, you have to remember, John is the preparer. John is not the main event. John is preparing the way. So after me comes one mightier than me. There's one greater than me. Then he says about himself, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. And what I want you to see there is the massive unworthiness that John sees himself as. Just get this. This is amazing. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. Uh, Jesus says, I think in Matthew, that uh, among men, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist looks at himself and says, I am so unworthy, I don't even get to touch his sandal. I am so unworthy. <laughs> I baptize with water, but there's a contrast there, meaning something better is going to come after. So I baptize with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So again, what I want you to see is this is not some mere coincidence. Some 700 years beforehand, God had this planned out. This was the preordained plan of God, and this is happening exactly how God intended it to take place. Let me add this. I skipped verse 6. Verse 6 talks about his attire. And what I want you to do, this is for homework, I suppose, if you would like. If you compare the attire, the clothing, and the food of John the Baptist to Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1, and then after you're done with that, uh, you read Malachi 4.5, which was some, oh, 400 years before Christ came. Malachi 4.5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so here comes Elijah. Here comes John, dressed like Elijah, eating what Elijah ate. And 
just in fulfillment of yet another prophecy, Malachi 4.5. Folks, this is not a coincidence. This is not random. This is not some random events just kind of spiraling out of control that meet. Oh, wow, what luck. No, 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 no. From Genesis 3.15 and the Proto-Evangelion to Isaiah 700 years before to Malachi 400 years before to countless other prophets prophecies and and things spoken about this Christ, 353 in total. This is the plan of God. This is not some accident. This is not some coincidence. That's why we're saying only a holy God. Who else could do this? Only a holy God. Who else could plan this entire thing? Only a holy God. Certainly not us. Certainly not us, which is just, I laugh at some of the people that talk about, well, it was, it was a fake, and then the, the church all got together and switched around the New Testament. <laughs> really? Who could think of this? Heading three, no mere baptism. No mere baptism. This is verse 9 to verse 11. Look at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just so matter of fact. Just, here he comes. Here he comes. Here, here's where he's from. He's from Nazareth, which is the town, in Galilee, which is the region. So Judea was a region, Galilee to the north, that was a region as well, and then Samaria's kind of tucked between the two. And, and so here they are, here's Jesus coming from Nazareth, and Jesus then is baptized. Just like all the people in verse 5, right? After a confession of sins, then they got baptized. Is that, is that, is that what we're talking about here? That Jesus Christ had to repent of his sins, confess his sins, be baptized, come up. No. No. This is not the same baptism. So let's, let's dig in a little bit. Let's make sense of this. The baptism John was proclaiming was firstly one of repentance that I was going to turn from my old way. And secondly, it was a confession of sins. But, as, as was saying in uh, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, in Christ there was no sin, no stain of sin, no, not, not even a scintilla of sin. Just dwell on that. In every which way that we have been tempted, Christ was without sin, not, not one speck of sin, not a puff of pride, not a dash of dishonor, and here comes Christ to be baptized? And again, remember the audience. If you're in Rome, you're hearing this, then you're likely saying, what? Sons of God don't need to be baptized. The Lord doesn't need to be baptized. Are you kidding me? 
Oh, no, no, no. But see what's happening. Please get this. This is huge. This is epic. This is probably the point of all points right here. The Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, he, as Rich Peterson said, he, the servant Savior, he identifies with us in that baptism. That's what's happening. He had no sins to confess. He had no repentance to do. Instead, what the sinless, spotless Savior is doing is he is identifying with you and me. You and me. We who are sinful, we who are hopeless, we who are helpless, we who are morally bankrupt before a holy God. And, and folks, we, we have to understand, we have no more cards to play. We don't have a trump card. We have nothing to bargain with. That is who we are. We are guilty. We are sinful. We are helpless. We are hopeless. And Jesus comes and identifies with us. Are you kidding me? This is amazing, and you have to see this clearly. And so let me state this as clearly as I possibly can. If you think somewhere deep down within you, you have something to bargain with or something within you that would claim any merit with God, you are missing the point Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior for all who draw near to him with the empty hand of faith. That great hymn by Top Lady, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked. Do you see yourself as naked? Naked. Come to thee for dress. Foul. You see yourself as foul? Foul. I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. See yourself that way? If you are, you will find a perfect Savior waiting for you. If you do not yet see yourself that way, then, then my hope for you is you get broken. It's my hope. It's my prayer. And what I want you to see, folks, is this is off the charts love. This is radical love. This is amazing love. You, just, I, I, there's no analogy. We love the ant, so we become an ant. No, 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 no. It's not even an analogy. You have the spotless Son of God who comes to earth, puts on human flesh, is baptized to identify with us. <laughs> us. Us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect Son of Man, in his suffering, in his, sorry, in his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. And again, if you do not see yourself there, this is not good news. This is not good news. 
Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. So let's look back to verse 9. Typical baptism, right? Everything is happening as it should until verse 10. Look at verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately, I want you to just picture this in your eyes, in your mind's eye, picture this. The heavens were torn open. And the Spirit descended on Christ like a dove. And here comes a voice from heaven screaming out, This, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And the key word here, immediately. Immediately. Look at how fast it happens. This is fast. Something extraordinary is about to happen. This is epic stuff. This is awesome. Heavens are torn open. Just imagine you're out walking across campus. And all of a sudden, like an old shirt, the sky just rips open. Could you imagine that? And then a dove comes down out of heaven. Could you imagine that? And then comes the majestic voice from on high. You are my beloved son. Wow. This is amazing. Just picture that scene. So I have a question for you. Those of you who were baptized or those of you who have ever been to a baptism, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, me either. Me either. This is no mere baptism. I just pray that you see. Do you see? Do you see this? Oh, that you would have eyes to see. God, give them eyes to see. Verse 1, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 3, He is the Lord. Verse 8, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 11, He is God's beloved Son. And see, don't get this twisted. Don't get it twisted. Mark is setting forth Christ as the Son of God, the Lord, the beloved Son of the Father. You cannot then say, oh, he's just a good guy. He's just a good teacher. Oh, he's just nice. No! You cannot say that. Either Mark is right or Mark is wrong. Either Mark is telling the truth or he is fabricating a lie. But we have to deal with the Christ of the Bible. We do not deal with your vain imaginations of who Christ is. We do not deal with the vain imaginations of TikTokers or Instagram stories or anything you find on the internet. You must deal with Christ as presented here and nowhere else. See Jesus. See him. Behold him. Embrace him. Love him. Oh, this was no mere baptism. This was the Son of God identifying with sinful man. And then the Father and the Spirit of God giving their imprimatur and identifying with Jesus Christ. So, last thing. Heading number four. 
no mere temptation. Final two verses, 12 and 13. Key word again. Immediately. He's baptized, the Father speaks, the Spirit is on him, and immediately the Holy Spirit sends Jesus Christ into the wilderness. And here's what Christ faced. And it's just so easy to gloss over this. Here's what Christ faced. A 40-day test with temptation by Satan himself over the course of those 40 days. Okay? Matthew and Luke talk about three of the temptations. I don't think it was only three times. I think over 40 days, Christ was being tempted every single day. And yet, you look down at the bottom, the angels are ministering to him, and the Spirit of God is ministering to him. He was also, in verse uh, 13, he's there with the wild animals. And this is not your cute little fluffy dog, or your kitty cat. No, these are wild beasts. And he's out there in the wilderness with wild beasts. And yet again, he is bulletproof because the angels are ministering to him and the Spirit is upon him. Christ is bulletproof in the midst of this. And, and we pick this up from other accounts, but over those 40 days, Satan tries absolutely everything. He throws everything he possibly can at Jesus Christ. He is trying to derail the ministry and the mission of Christ before it even begins. And so here comes Satan with every single stumbling block that you could throw in front of a man. Folks, this is no mere temptation. This is like a full court press in basketball, and they've got 30 guys on the court, and you've got five. That's what this is like. And you're Duke, and you just stepped on a Chapel Hill. So you're in enemy territory with people who hate you, and 30 of them, and you have five, and you're in press break. Good luck. Just to give you a feel for this, 40 days from today is October 3rd. October 3rd. That's the start of homecoming week. It's such a long time to be tempted. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, we give in to temptation in 40 seconds sometimes, not 40 days. And sometimes for us, it's 40 milliseconds if we're truly honest with ourselves. This is no mere temptation. This is not, here's an offer that you cannot refuse. No, folks. This is the temptation of all temptations. And unlike Adam, who failed, and unlike Noah, who failed, or Moses, who failed, or Israel, who failed, or David, who failed, or any one of us in this room who fails every single day. And each of these guys, if, you're, if, if you think about it, they fell in a moment. It was just so fast. Here goes Adam, forbidden fruit, done. He's out. Noah, drunkenness, he's out. Moses, murder, out. Israel, full disobedience against God and his word, out. David, wow, she looks hot. 
boom, adultery and murder. But Jesus, get this, he passed, he made it, he did it, he won, he defeated Satan, he beat the enemy, he did it, he did it. This is awesome. In every part of life where you and I fail, Christ is successful. He doesn't sin. Or as Triple E put it, Jesus succeeded in every part of life where we failed. Oh, and see, I am pleading with you. Turn to Christ. Trust him. Repent of your sins and run to your Savior. He who identifies with you and he who faced down the greatest of temptations and yet was without sin. You don't have to flip there. I think I have a little bit. I think I can do this. But if you want, you can write down Hebrews chapter 4. This is what it says of Christ. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest. That's Jesus Christ. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. There's that word again, Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Remember, 40 days of temptation but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Oh, praise the Lord. Let us then, because of this, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Run to Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. Let me summarize these first 13 verses in this way. We have Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, the Lord. He is spoken of in the prophets. He identifies with us in baptism. He vanquishes our foes. And he was faithful to God in every way. And in chapter 1, Verses 14 and 15, he has a message for us. Will you hear? I pray you will hear. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. Thank you for your preordained plan. That wasn't all willy-nilly, that wasn't some coincidence, but was ordained, quite frankly, before the foundation of the world. Thank you that Christ identifies with us sinful people in his baptism and then calls sinful people to repentance and faith. And thank you, Lord, that we have a victorious Christ who overcomes sin and overcomes Satan and defeated him. Thank you, Father. You are so good. So good. Thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.